winner. Here are just a few ways of doing that. Recognize your value. I was on a speaking platform with my friend Gary Smalley when he did something that captivated the crowd. Before an audience of nearly 10,000 people, Gary held out a crisp $50 bill and asked them, who would like this $50 bill? Hands started going up everywhere. I'm going to give this $50 to one of you, he said, but first let me do this. He proceeded to crumple up the bill. Then he asked, who still wants it? The same hands went up in the air. Well, he continued, what if I do this? He dropped it on the ground and started to grind it into the floor with his shoe. He picked it up, all crumpled and dirty. Now, who still wants it? Again, hands went into the air. You have all learned a valuable lesson, Gary said. No matter what I do to the money, you still want it because it doesn't decrease in value. It is still worth $50. Gary's simple illustration underscores a profound point. Many times in our lives, we are dropped, crumpled, and ground into the dirt by the decisions we make or the circumstances that come our way. We may feel as though we are worthless, insignificant in our own eyes and in the eyes of others. But no matter what has happened or what will happen, we never lose our value as human beings. Nothing can take that away. Never forget that. Accept your value. How many times have you heard people say, he has issues? What they mean is that the person is stuck. The person is not healthy. He's got a hang-up. He's uncomfortable in his own skin. It's what we psychologists are getting at when we talk about self-acceptance. Let's face it. All of us walking around on this planet have insecurities and issues that we wish we could change about ourselves. But certain things we can't. Some things about us just are. Maybe you weren't born with the kind of looks you would like, or you aren't as tall as you desire. Your genes dealt you a hand that you've eventually got to accept. Either that, or you reject your personal value and spend your days trying to compensate for your insecurities. You become hung up, stuck on not being dealt a better hand. Increase your value. Perhaps you already recognize and accept your value. Maybe you know at the center of your being, deep in your soul, that you are loved by God and are of inestimable value. Congratulations! The next step is to increase your value to others by solving as many of your problems as you can. In other words, you need to maximize who you are by overcoming or fixing those things that are within your power to change. You may struggle with a hair-trigger temper, for example. Maybe you have difficulty setting boundaries or taking responsibility. Maybe you have some bad habits, or perhaps your attitude needs an overhaul. All of us have hurdles we can overcome. 45% of Americans report that they would change a bad habit if they could. The truth is, they can change. Each of us can improve ourselves whenever we decide to. Believe in your value. Once you've recognized your value, accepted it, and increased it, you've eventually got to believe it. You've got to believe it with such conviction that you'd be willing to bank on it. Chuck Wepner never learned this lesson. As a boxer, he earned the nickname the Bayonne Bleeder because of the punishment he took even while winning. In the boxing world, he was what's called a catcher, a fighter who often uses his head to block the other guy's punches. Wepner continually pressured his opponent until he either won or got knocked out. He never cared how many shots he had to absorb before landing a knockout blow. 
Trainer Al Braverman called him the gutsiest fighter I ever met. He was in a league of his own. He didn't care about pain. If he got cut or elbowed, he never looked at me or the referee for help. He was a fighter in the purest sense of the word. When Wepner knocked out Terry Henke in the 11th round in Salt Lake City, boxing promoter Don King offered Wepner a title shot against then-heavyweight champion George Foreman. But when Ali defeated Foreman, Wepner found himself scheduled to fight the greatest, Muhammad Ali. On the morning of the fight, Wepner gave his wife a pink negligee and told her she would soon be sleeping with the heavyweight champion of the world. Ali scored a technical knockout with just 19 seconds remaining in the fight. But there was a moment, one glorious moment in the ninth round, when a ham-like paw to Ali's chest knocked the reigning champion off his feet. Wepner recalled, When Ali was down, I remember saying to my ringman, Al Braverman, Start the car. We're going to the bank. We're millionaires. And Al said to me, You'd better turn around because he's getting up. After the fight, Wepner's wife pulled the negligee out of her purse and asked, Do I go to Ali's room or does he come to mine? That story would be nothing more than an odd boxing footnote, except for one thing. A struggling writer was watching the fight, and then it suddenly struck him. There it is, he said to himself. So I went home and I started writing, and I wrote for three days straight. That's how writer and actor Sylvester Stallone described the birth of the Academy Award-winning movie Rocky to James Lipton on Inside the Actor's Studio. The movie studio offered the struggling writer an unprecedented $400,000 for his script, but Stallone refused the money, choosing instead just $20,000 and the right to play the part of Rocky for actor's minimum wage, a paltry $340 a week. The studio also made an offer to Wepner since the movie was based on his life. He could receive a flat fee of $70,000 or 1% of the movie's gross profits. Wanting the guaranteed payday, Wepner took the $70,000, a decision that ultimately cost him $8 million. Today, Chuck Wepner lives in Bayonne and works as a liquor salesman. The same thing happens whenever you sell yourself short. If you don't believe that you have something of great value to offer another person, namely yourself, you'll never truly win with people. Who you are is the greatest asset you'll ever possess. And as long as you recognize this valuable asset, accept it, increase it, and believe it with deep conviction, the ways of winning with people in this book can become a part of your character. And when they come from the heart, they work like a charm. Each of the chapters in this book closes with a piece to help you apply what you've learned. It's designed to help you put the chapter's winning way into action. To apply this lesson from chapter 1 to your own life, forget about whatever makes you feel insecure. Ask, how can I increase my value to benefit myself for others? Do it. List the things you can improve about yourself, bad habits to break, etc., along with specific steps to take to make the improvements. Remember, your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. Chapter 2. Practice the 30-Second Rule One of the most valuable lessons in winning with people that I have ever learned from John is the 30-Second Rule. Within the first 30 seconds of a conversation, say something encouraging to a person. 
John is a master at it. While I was sitting in a meeting at one of his companies a short time ago, John entered the room and within just a few minutes said something encouraging to each person around the table. David, I heard you hit it out of the park this morning on that conference call. Larry, you're making me look so good with that consultation in Denver. Thank you. Les, I'm so glad you made the trip out here to be with us today. I know you're going to add tremendous value to our discussion. Very early on, John had genuinely encouraged each one of us, and it seemed almost effortless. People everywhere need a good word, an uplifting compliment to fire their hopes and dreams. It takes very little effort to do, but it really lifts people up. John When most people meet others, they search for ways to make themselves look good. The key to the 30-second rule is reversing this practice. When you make contact with people, instead of focusing on yourself, search for ways to make them look good. Every day before I meet with people, I pause to think about something encouraging I can tell them. What I say can be one of many things. I might thank them for something they've done for me or for a friend. I might tell others about one of their accomplishments. I might praise them for personal quality they exhibit. Or I might simply compliment their appearances. The practice isn't complicated, but it does take some time, effort, and discipline. The reward for practicing it is huge because it really makes a positive impact on people. Psychologist Henry H. Goddard conducted a study on energy levels in children using an instrument he called the ergograph. His findings are fascinating. He discovered that when tired children were given a word of praise or commendation, the ergograph showed an immediate upward surge of energy in the children. When the children were criticized or discouraged, the ergograph showed that their physical energy took a sudden nosedive.